Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Road to Know Her podcast. This is a brand new podcast aimed to educate, inform and empower women so we can take control of our health and well-being. I'm Emmy, And I'm Alex. And we're trying to fill in the gaps of knowledge when it comes to our bodies and well-being. And each week we'll sit down with leading experts in the field of women's health to discuss a wide range of topics, including nutrition, contraception, fertility and everything in between. So let's jump in. So today I am so excited about this episode. We're doing a deep dive into the world of female fitness and empowerment. And we've got an amazing guest who's going to help us reshape the way we see our female body and the potential we have. We're really excited because this is a great time to do it. We've just seen the lionesses smash it. It's a really important time for female sports. Totally. And I think as well as celebrating all the successes and gains that we're having in women's sport, it's also a really good time to take stock in terms of the limitations. There's a huge lack of research with women's sport. Um, until Dr. Emma Ross came around. Oh, I just did a spoiler of that of who's our guest, but we'll come on to that <laughs> later. Until she came around, there wasn't a huge amount of research about how our physiology actually affects the way that we play sport. And we've seen that a lot of individuals who haven't been able to partake in the World Cup because of ACL injuries from wearing men's boots and things like that. So I think it's a really, really important conversation to be having right now. I think this interview is really interesting because she speaks about how many women stop playing sport and how many women stop fitness because of all these barriers to entry. Oh, should we introduce the episode then? Yeah, let's go for it. So today we're joined by a true champion of women's potential, Dr. Emma Ross. So Dr. Emma is the co-founder and CEO of The Well HQ, which is an organization dedicated to equipping women with the knowledge and support they need to take charge of their well-being. Her journey started as head of physiology at the English Institute of Sport, where she led a team of sports scientists behind our Olympic and Paralympic athletes' triumphs. She realized the need for tailored support for female athletes, so she went and co-founded The Well HQ with Dr. Bella Smith and Baz Moffat. This platform thrives on cutting-edge science, offering resources and supportive community for women and their advocates. They've also written an incredible book called The Female Body Bible, and I urge you all to go and buy it because it is absolutely fascinating. It's a playbook to help us get to know our bodies a bit better and gives us a selection of different strategies so that you can get the most out of your incredible female body. Love it. So let's get into our chat with Dr. Emma Ross. Hopefully we'll be able to uncover some insights that will reshape how you view female fitness and empowerment. 
Hey Emma, we are so excited to have you on the road to know her today. There is so much that we want to talk to you about, but I guess let's start from the beginning. Can you give us a bit of an overview of your career to date and why you started The Well HQ? Yeah, so my journey here, I don't think when I set out in my career, I knew where I'd end up, but I feel like where I've ended up is the place I'm meant to be, which is always a good, a good, a good start. So I did a PhD in exercise physiology. And then just after the 2012 Games, I had a really wonderful opportunity that I got asked to go and lead the um, team of sports scientists who work across Olympic and Paralympic sports. So I was um, the head of physiology and I got to immerse myself in the world of high performance elite sport, which was incredible. And I learned a lot about kind of translating research from the world of kind of academics into practice, into like getting it on the shop floor, as, as we say. And so I did that. And then after the 2016 Rio Games, we were doing a big evaluation of, you know, what do we really need to concentrate on to stay the best in the world at sport? Um, and what questions do we need to ask that will move us forward? And I asked what seemed like a really simple question, which was, do we think we support our female athletes well enough? And the first response to that was, well, of course we do, Emma. Like we've just won loads of medals. We've got amazing female athletes in our system. You know, Jess Ennis-Hill was the poster girl for two Olympic Games. I get we've got some brilliant females in the system, but when we look at the environments in which these girls train and how we support them. I've done a lot of work with practitioners and coaches who are looking at things like testosterone and cortisol and priming athletes to be aggressive and competitive before they go out onto the pitch or the track. But no one has mentioned the hormones of the menstrual cycle, for example. And I'd never heard anyone talk about sports bras and I'd never heard anyone talk about pelvic floors and I'd never heard anyone talk about nutrition in a way that really honoured the fact that females have different relationships with food and different behaviours around food, et cetera, et cetera. I had this long list of things that I didn't think we were doing brilliantly. And actually, when I asked the, the coaches and the athletes, really honestly, were we, were we doing a really good job on that front? They were like, nah, we, we haven't really done anything. We've almost been so fixated on trying to achieve equality in this women's side of sport with the men's side of sport we want the same pay, we want the same coaching facilities, we want the same quality of coaches, we want the same training times and not get given the rubbish ones, you know, we want the same. And to do that, we've kind of sort of hidden away all parts of us that might be considered sort of female. And so I came in and I said, we need to talk about those. And that was a really big challenge, because everyone was like, no, don't, don't expose any weakness or fragility. And that's where I was like, oh, okay, we need to like really remessage this, because this isn't about the fragility of a female body and all the you know annoying periods and bras and things this is about a huge opportunity because we haven't understood female bodies well enough until now and if we do we will be able to get more out of them and so I spent five years really educating coaches and athletes about what that looked like what topic the topics were and what they needed to know and what they needed to do to really sort of tap into the potential of the female body and so then in 2020, I left that work to really just broaden the impacts of the work I was doing outside of the Olympic and Paralympic space. And along, along the way, I'd met two brilliant women. One was a former GB rower um, turned pelvic health specialist. One was a GP with specialisms in female health and the menopause. And we just decided that actually there was a huge gap here in terms of not just educating women about their bodies, but educating women about their bodies in the context of being active, being healthy, being fit, 
And whether that was someone who was looking to pursue high performance or someone who just wanted to, who didn't want their body to hold them back from just living an active lifestyle. And that's kind of where we've got to. So now the Well HQ has been running for uh, about two and a half years. And we've really kind of forged out this, this idea that we want to, we want to challenge the sporting system to integrate training about women's bodies everywhere like whether you're training to be a level one coach for your daughter's under 15 team or whether you're training to be a physiotherapist for the you know Arsenal women's football team wherever you sit you need to know more about women's bodies um and we wanted to educate the women themselves so we wrote a book about the female body um and and now we work with big sporting organizations so our kind of big exciting projects at the moment are working with England netball and so we've worked with them to create a a really open access resource for anyone doing sport and particularly doing netball to understand their body better as well as training lots of their staff and their coaches so yeah we're really trying to redesign the system of sport so that it acknowledges the fact that these amazing female bodies need to be better understood that's absolutely incredible and I can't believe you've been working on such a variety of different projects and I love that it's everything from grassroots all the way up to the professional game because I think of when I was playing sport when I was younger, it wasn't even a high level, but I, I was never even, it, periods, everything like that, sports bras, it wasn't even a conversation. You didn't, you just kind of got on with it and did it. That's that's what is is staggering is that we've got this big um, crisis almost about participation of girls in sport and physical activity. So girls are dropping out at twice the rate of boys and 64% of girls will have quit sport by the end of puberty, which doesn't just mean we, we lose them then. It means we lose them sometimes for the rest of their lives. They will say, it's not for me. And it's not just what's happening in their body. There are lots of social and psych- psychological changes that go on during puberty, but lots of it is about a changing body period starting, boobs arriving, um, and not wanting to be judged or, or looked at and observed as your body changes through to we've got women who aren't active through the menopause and are suffering more because of it and so like you said it's not just for women pursuing high performance um, actually the, it's always the same messages apply because we've all started off with this sort of woefully low level of, of knowledge about our bodies and I always say say to the girls when I go into schools I say like your mum's generation have just learned about their menopause from Davina McCall now that's not a bad thing because she did a great job of it but it is kind of crazy that a significant inevitable life stage where there are huge impacts on relationships work you know all of those those things we'd learned about it from a celebrity who decided to do a good job of of kind of documenting it why why did we not know that ahead of time and and so I say to that generation like we don't want you to be that generation you know we want you to be a generation of women who understand their fertility who understand their cycles who understand their bodies their breasts their pelvic floors so that when you get to the menopause or any other life stage like yes it's changing but because you understand it you can understand and navigate the changes better Mm. it's absolutely bonkers when when you've really highlighted that even though coaches and industries were trying to make women the best athletes they could be they weren't actually taking into account any of their natural physiology and that feels absolutely bonkers to me and I guess something that's coming really apparent in the World Cup is that while there are definitely solutions I guess maybe part of the barrier is not enough research so how did you go about trying to find solutions without a whole wealth of research? Yeah it's a really good question because 
we wrote a paper a couple of years ago called Invisible Sportswomen, and it was a, an academic paper, but it looked at five years of sport and exercise science research, and it said how much is done on women, exclusively on women, and only 6% of that research was done on women, um, which means we don't have like this wealth of information to inform what we might call best practice because we are starting from such a low baseline of knowledge and understanding there is so much that we can do based on what we do know before we can we start to kind of get into that realms of like oh I'm not really sure whether you know we've got enough evidence for this and I really urged all coaches working at all levels and all sports to sort of create a culture and environment where we're having better conversations because even if we invest invested a billion pounds into research on women and girls in sport a lot of you know, whatever groundbreaking information came out of it will be useless if we don't have girls who are comfortable talking about it, coaches or personal trainers who are comfortable talking about symptoms or menopause or impact with their clients and other athletes. We need more definitely. And that is changing across the board. But research is slow. But in the meantime, let's educate ourselves on what we do know, because I go into groups of male coaches and talk about pelvic floor dysfunction in athletes. And coaches will put their hands up and say, what's a pelvic floor? We are, we are, yeah. <laughs> and these are guys who just have never, I mean, they've got a pelvic floor too, and so that's equally yeah. bad, but you know, they've never, and because, yeah, it, so we've got, we've got a load we can do in, in, the, in the first stage of, of this. And then hopefully lots of other interesting research will come and kind of start to ice that, ice that cake and put the sprinkles on top. And I wanted to ask about, we've spoken a lot about professional side of the game. When we talk about sort of your average Joe women training, trying to get fit and healthy, I sometimes find that one day I could lift a weight and then two weeks later, I'm like, oh my God, I can hardly lift it. I've got hardly any energy. Can we talk about training around your period and how you should be tracking that? Yeah, so I I think this has got more airtime than ever before and people are really interested in um, how their menstrual cycle impacts their ability to train and or do sport or just work out, as you say. Um, and I think the good news for women is that on any given day of your menstrual cycle, your hormones aren't limiting your capability to do what you want to do. And what I mean by that is whenever researchers looked at um, strength, power, um, aerobic fitness, it isn't impacted by the hormones of the menstrual cycle. Now, that's not the end of the story. That just means that you have your full potential on any given day. But like you said, Emmy, some days you just feel like a complete lack of energy. You feel leaden or some days you might have overwhelming anxiety that kind of limits your ability to even go into a gym and enjoy that space. And it's the symptoms of the hormonal fluctuations of the menstrual cycle that is impacting some women and also allows us an opportunity because some of those hormones do some brilliant things for our ability to recover and adapt to training. So the first thing is to understand your unique experience of the menstrual cycle. So start tracking your cycle and don't just start tracking it so that you know when the next period arrives, although that is useful. Track it so you say, when do I feel high energy? When do I feel flat? When do I struggle to lift what I would usually be able to lift in the gym? Like, what does this look and feel like for me? Because for everyone, it will be slightly different. There might be some women who say, I'm really sluggish in my digestion at some points, um, or I feel really nauseous, or I have a lot of pain. It might be back pain or hip pain. It might not be classic period pain. 
and just look at what is cyclical and what isn't because you know life throws lots of things at us on any given day and some things won't be related to your menstrual cycle but the longer you track the more you'll understand oh okay so actually on those days I feel pretty great and there is a time of our cycle in the second week of our cycle where our hormones really are on our side estrogen is is rising and estrogen is an amazing hormone it can improve mood because it influences serotonin we have evidence that it improves our motivation to train it makes us want to be more social or at least you know be really comfortable and confident in social situations so either in a team or going to the gym we know that estrogen makes us recover better it um it might make us adapt to strength training better because it's quite an anabolic hormone it's quite like testosterone in that way it helps our body repair and grow muscle so it's it's super good. It gives us energy and, and all of those things. So there are weeks in our cycle where our hormones are really on our side when it comes to being active and working out. And if you really take notes of how you feel across your cycle, you might be able to tune into that. And it doesn't just apply to working out. It might apply to work productivity or getting stuff done in life. Generally, there will be different strategies for different women. And that's what we we wrote the book for. It's like, there is no rule book, but there is kind of a playbook that you can select from. That helps people develop what I call cycle resilience. So it's kind of knowing what your cycle is going to throw at you, and then having kind of a little backpack of things to do. And that might be saying, oh, I'm going to lean into this, this part of my cycle. Or it might be, I'm actually, I know I have to stay on top of my hydration around my period, otherwise my pain gets really bad. Or I know I have to eat more fiber around this time, otherwise I feel really bunged up. And you just kind of start to work in a way that's with your body and not against it or just ignoring its kind of rhythm. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. And I think that's such a brilliant idea and suggestion for women to do because there have been times where I've even try to do some yoga that's a little bit more intense maybe it involves holding a plank for a minute or something and then I have found it so difficult and ended up crying and then six hours later my period arrives I'm like okay this this all makes sense and I think tracking your period and then working with your body will just be better for mental well-being as well as physical well-being because you're not trying to force yourself to do anything in a time when you know you're going to struggle even more. So I think it's such a brilliant suggestion. And I think there's the real thing that you're talking about with boobs, about sports bras and everything like that. Like I remember finding it so hard to find a sports bra when I was younger and I was always just in pain. Every time we had a gym class, it was just so painful, but no one ever spoke about it. Like how important yeah. is that to get the right clothing to make you feel comfortable? I am kind of obsessed with sports bras because I think they get overlooked. I mean, I think for the amount that women, once you start talking about them, resonate in terms of not being able to find the right one, um, having loads in their drawer that are of random sizes that they've tried and that, that don't get on with, not being able to breathe in sports bras, wearing two or three sports bras, um, oh God, like you yeah. say, yeah, not exercising because of breast pain or, or thinking that running isn't for you because you've got larger breasts so you stick to swimming. You know, all of those things are true. Yeah, and we don't get educated. You know, like I say to the girls in school, you've just gone from having no breasts to your adult breasts over the course of a few years And no one is kind of holding your hand through that process and saying, first of all, this is weird, isn't it? Like, it really is. You've just changed completely. You've got these fatty lumps on the front of your body and you're not really sure what to do with them. But then also, here's how you support your breasts. This is like what an everyday bra is for. And then when you're doing sport, you should be wearing a sports bra 
for all of these reasons. And then this is how you find a sports bra that works for you, depending on your body size and your breast size and shape. And the girls are like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize there was so much to this. And now I feel sort of empowered to be able to go and find a solution. But we are just, we just don't know the right information. Actually, the right information isn't overcomplicated. It's a good fit. It doesn't have to be expensive. And we know that larger breasted women, and this is not like we're ladies with huge boobs. It's like D cup or above. So D cup is actually average. So people who are average breast size or above do 37% less high intensity exercise because of their breasts. And I love the stat that breast movement isn't just about comfort and it's not just about, you know, ladies, women with bigger boobs. It's about everyone moving better because when when our breasts move, even a B cup or a C cup and then, you know, bigger breasts are moving more. When our breast tissue moves, our whole body biomechanics change. And so the muscles in our torso start to get recruited in a different way because we're trying to kind of sort of counteract this wobbling on the front of our chest so I have had the worst realization during this chat that when I was 16 or 17 two of my male friends bought me a sports bra as a joke and I still consider that to be my new sports bra and I am 30 no (laughs) it's the same one that I wear I obviously my boots have changed so much in the 15 years (laughs) since I've got it I need to go out and buy a new sports bra. Yes, you need to. And do you know, after 20 washes, the sports bras function is starts to deteriorate. Now, it's not that um, you throw it away after 20 washes, but it just shows that actually its function is being impacted every time you wash it. And can I ask a question? This is quite broad, but in terms of how important it is for women to do both cardiovascular exercise and also strength training, um, how much does it, add to women's overall health and how important is it so for context I definitely Emmy out of the two of us is the exerciser I am not the exerciser Um, but I'm trying to change that because I think it is important for my joints and my bones but I'm just really interested in how much it can really add to our overall well-being. Fitness is like the magic pill if you could bottle it and you you know wrote clinical trials about all of the positive benefits it has you know it would be a bestseller drug because that we have so much research now about how much fitness and that's not like being an elite athlete and that's not training for two hours every day that's just moving more and now there's even studies about walking and even like the minimum dose of walking that you need to get the fitness benefits but anything to do with being physically active that makes you fitter so that stresses your cardiovascular system that puts load through your muscles is just brilliant for every bit of your If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to 1 full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today. That's j u v e d e r m.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Health, you could imagine, and that's physical and mental. So, you know, we now know how important it is for our mental health. Um, but we know that it's good for our cardiovascular health, for our respiratory health, for our neuromuscular health, uh, for our immune function, for our gut health and all of those things. So you cannot get a better intervention. And like I say, it doesn't have to be complicated and we don't have to over engineer it and pay lots of money for gym subscriptions. It can just be walking more, getting more steps in. But I think what's also really important for women particularly is to try and incorporate different types of fitness, like you've said. So cardiovascular fitness absolutely important we all have a heart we all have a cardiovascular system that needs protecting against all of the horrible things that might happen to us in that respect as we get older and we know that you know cardiovascular disease is one of the biggest killers of men and women uh, particularly women as we lose our estrogen um, when we go through menopause and that is you know we kind of lose our defense against a lot of those kind of lifestyle and metabolic and cardiovascular conditions so really important that we sort of really boost our health as much as we can across our life stages. Um, But women also need to train for strength. And that's important at any stage of our life. So when we come across, you know, we've mentioned football and the World Cup, and we look at all of the players that are getting injured. And there is really great evidence that we do not get conditioned as well as girls and young women when we're being trained just in PE or games or in the gym. And so we lack really fundamental movement skills that then might set us up for a life of back pain or, you know, going skiing and doing our ACL or, you know, like potential for injury and and pain. Um, So we need to get strong. We need to get functionally strong. 
and I don't again I don't mean going in and beasting one rep maxes in the gym on a squat rack it could be doing body weight exercises it could be lifting dumbbells at home it could be doing pilates which makes you super strong and stable but building in strength work because also once we get to later life and in our 40s and our estrogen is declining that is not helping our bone strength or our muscle health unfortunately estrogen is great for our muscle function and great for building bones density and when we lose it we need we need to have a done a lot to kind of get ourselves to the highest level we can in terms of bone strength and muscle health but then we need load being put through our body to prevent muscle and bone decline because what we don't want to be is 60 and weak with osteoporosis because 60 is not old and we want to be you know in our you know having our best life when we're retired and we can't do that if we haven't set ourselves up with a really good base across our you know the previous years and also I think women find it really hard to start strength training in their 40s if they haven't done it before they have bad technique, they are intimidated, they don't know what exercises to do. And so they just say, oh, I don't know how to do it. And then it never becomes part of their routine. So I think the more we can encourage women to access a range of workouts and training regimes that are cardiovascular, but they're also strength based, the more we're going to set ourselves up for lifelong health and happiness and functional, being functional, and, you know, being able to do the things we want to do. That's literally music to my ears because I feel like our whole upbringing, it's been like exercise is about weight loss. Mm. And I feel like we've been so conditioned as women to fit, to like almost fear fitness and be like, God, I've got to do it because I ate pasta last night, whatever yeah. it might be. And it's so nice to actually hear that to be like, fitness is so much more about a holistic perspective and happiness, mental health and live, getting a better future, not just about weight loss. So it sounds like it's, if we were to change the messaging a little bit and make it more empowering than restrictive, there would probably be a bit higher adoption as well, right? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Because it's not about, you know, it has always been about taking up less space. So like being, you know, being little. So burn off all those calories. And even when we were promoting strength exercise, it was like, oh, did you know that, you know, the afterburn of strength exercises burns more calories? And everything was related to using energy so you could be smaller and smaller and thinner and thinner. And actually, yeah, the message is take up more space, do, you know, do more things. And actually, it's not about body size. We can be healthy at a load of different body sizes. Um, in fact, fitness is a much be better predictor of health than what we call fatness. And fatness isn't being fat. It's just how much fat we have in our bodies. And so you can have a really, you know, broad range of um, body fat and still be really healthy, really functional, really fit. And we need to, yeah, we need to get away from that what a body looks like and think about how it works because ultimately by the time you get to midlife you do not give a sh about <laughs> um you know what you become less concerned about what your body looks like and more worried about how long it's going to be able to serve you and we need to kind of get that message down you know down the pathway a bit um because we've got you know a really 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 scary um situation with our young girls and their body images and body image and their eating behaviours and their aspirations for their body. And we have to change that narrative because otherwise we're going to have girls um, who make themselves ill and not make themselves, you know, strong and powerful and resilient. I know that a lot of girls have issues with their period stopping or becoming irregular due to overtraining and undereating. Can you tell us what's actually happening to our bodies at that physical level to make this happen? 
and why it's so important that we need to change this narrative to celebrating our periods instead. As you say, once you do loads of exercise and you're not eating enough, really significant changes happen in your body. And um, one of the things that happens is our periods can stop or they become they can become irregular and they're becoming irregular because we've stopped ovulating. Because what our body does when we don't have enough energy consistently as a female and we're you know doing lots of things, whether we're growing and developing as teenage girls, whether we're doing physical activity and sport, we're expending loads of energy, we're not eating enough. And our body says, you know, our body is hardwired for survival. So it's saying, what can I do to save energy? I need to do something, otherwise I will die. It can't switch off our brain, that uses loads of energy, but we would die immediately. You know, it can't switch off anything vital like a heart or our lungs, but it can switch off our reproductive cycle because it doesn't need that to, to survive. Um, and it doesn't have to waste energy making hormones, having periods, and certainly not growing a baby. So that it seems like the brilliant situation for the body and it is a sensible decision but what we don't celebrate enough is the absolute awesomeness and um kind of like importance of the hormones of the menstrual cycle so they don't just allow us to become pregnant they are vital for our bone health our bone strength our immune function our gut health our brain health you are 70% more likely to have depression if you underfuel so if you don't eat enough um, so all of these systems in our body, from our brain through to um, our heart health, through to our immune function, are impacted when we don't eat enough and we exercise. Our menstrual cycle is amazing and it's a vital sign of health. And if we're not having regular periods, then we're not healthy. That's not like an infinite game. You can only do that for so long before your body starts to break. Absolutely. And it just shows, I think it really highlights how interconnected everything is, you know, our diet, our training, our mental health, our reproductive systems, it's so interconnected. And just to touch back on eating, because I know we spoke briefly about eating too much or eating too little, but how much can nutrition generally support our training? And do you think it is important to look at both at once and make sure we're eating not just the right amount, but the right things as well for our bodies? Yeah, they have to go hand in hand. And I think food is the basis of of health and fitness. We can't we can't be healthy if we don't eat the right foods at the right, you know, in the right amounts, uh, in the right sort of way. And we can't we can't get better and adapt to training and get fitter if we don't fuel our training and then also give our body the right nutrients so that it can adapt and grow and get stronger and get fitter. Um, so those things have to go hand in hand. And I think what we do, we don't do well enough is kind of put our diet under a microscope and say, not only, you know, do I have a balance of food groups on my plate, for example, and we are really, really good at avoiding whole food groups as women. So that's a real no-no. Like we are not meant to exclude whole food groups. We're not meant to go carb-free or fat-free. We're meant to have all of those foods in our diet um, but also looking at whether we're getting enough vitamin c and vitamin d and magnesium and zinc and and all of the micronutrients that we now know underpin hormone health mental health gut health um, so really being intentional about food and quite mindful about food because i think if we eat in a rush and we grab and go hey we don't even know what's gone in we just and also we can't be kind of intentional about thinking 
does this meal, whether it's a small meal or a big meal, look kind of balanced? And yes, it's kind of hard work to keep thinking about that, but it becomes a habit after a while. But I think we do need to become more intentional about our food because otherwise we risk eating very unnutritious food that doesn't give us those vitamins and minerals that really support our our physical and, and mental health. And we know now that gut health is just so critical for all parts of our health. We're finding out more and more about our gut that's extraordinary. And so, yeah, I think paying attention to our diet, we need to get better at that. Definitely. And we actually did an episode previously with Dr. Megan Rossi, and she was amazing talking all about gut health. Yeah, she taught us about the whole variety we need to eat. So thank you so much for your time. And I'd you are welcome. Thank to you. Get you back at some point to talk about the menopause as well. We haven't yes. even touched on that. I feel like that's a whole other topic. <laughs> exactly. So there's so the the female body is just so amazing, and it's got so many interesting things about it. So yeah, there's plenty left to talk about. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you also for your incredible work that you're doing at the Well HQ. It's yes. unbelievable. You're really making a big difference. Thank you. Bye. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.